you want to ditch feature dumping, build trust and earn the opportunity to become your prospect's trusted guide, then say hello to the Influential Communicator newsletter. Now, listen, my friend, my intention is clear because with one actionable weekly email keyword actionable my goal is to transform you into a captivating storyteller communicator and presenter so if this is a bit of you then head on down to www.theinfluentialcommunicator.com to register now and by the way if you do sign up know that you'll also receive my free guide on how to craft a punchy and high converting elevator story I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. And without further wait, let's get into it. About a month ago, I was on a call with somebody in our world of B2B sales. And I said, yo, what have you been up to? And she said, ah, I just came back from this sales conference over in Vegas. And I tell you what, Rav, there was this one incredible speaker I will not forget. I said, who? She said, her name is Jennifer Ryan. I said, Jennifer Ryan? Jennifer Ryan, who? She said, Jennifer Ryan, you don't know her? I said, no, make the damn intro, man. She said, okay, cool. So Jennifer and I hopped on a call and the moment we connected, it was evident that she's obsessed with all things storytelling, messaging, and communication. Now, Jennifer actually runs enablement over at Blackline and she's with me today to do one thing, people, help us unlock the power of analogies for selling. Jennifer, welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Well, thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Are you, Jennifer? Let me feel it. Are you Are you really excited or do you just say this for every guest? Because I know you're on the circuit. You run the internal show, but this is your first external podcast, right? My very first. And I am more excited than I can possibly tell you. I <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay, cool. Cool. So speaking of analogies, what's your go-to analogy? Have you got one which you just rinse and repeat all the time? I don't think I do. And if I do, I'm not aware of it. I try to be so present in the moment and I try to make those analogies fit the person I'm talking to. Something I've gleaned from them, something I've gotten in the moment. I did have a go-to early on that started this whole zeal for analogies for me many moons ago and many careers ago. I was in IT and I said, we we need to defrag your hard drive. And people would say, well, I don't know what that means. And I would say, well, picture a piece of Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese has a lot of holes. And if you cut it, there's going to be a part of your cracker that doesn't have any cheese. But what if you could squish all the holes out of your Swiss cheese and have a single piece of cheese that fit completely on your cracker? That's what defragging does to your hard drive. So that was always my go-to. I'm excited for this because it's (laughs) analogies like that, which I think are so powerful in the world of sales when it comes to really taking complex ideas and distilling them down into really relatable concepts. So I can't wait for this. But before we get into it, when it comes to your story, Jennifer, you know, you've done so much from studying music therapy and I know you're, you know, used to work in IT. I feel like you've had different lives throughout your career. So tell me this, what's one thing that we don't know about your story? And 
I suppose the reason I ask this is I want to get rather a better understanding of who you are as a human being today because of this specific moment in your life. This moment being what you're going to share with us right now. <laughs> I think the pivotal moment and something that is always a point of pride for me is in my youth, I sang for the Pope. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was a very short experience, but it was one of those that people think, well, how did you do that? You must be, you must have. And there's all of these expectations of who you are, but really it's about a moment comes and you just say yes. And mm -hmm. every moment you say yes, you get a story. So that's been the catalyst for everything that I've done in my career was that moment when I just leaned in and I said, yes. Wow. Were you nervous? <laughs> I was nervous right up until the point I went up to the microphone and then I have no recollection of anything that happened after that until I left the microphone. But it's on video, so I know it happened. <laughs> that is incredible. How did that opportunity even come about? I was singing in a choir at the University of Kansas, and mm. there were nine choirs that were chosen worldwide to do this. And they had 15 soloist spots open, and friends of mine were, record or were recording their audition tape, and they're like, you should do it. I'm like, no, I'm really not good enough. They're like, how would you know? Just do it. Okay. So, I mean, it literally just fell in my lap. I was very, very lucky. That's very cool. That is very cool. That is a very cool story to, to share because it's so unpredictable. That I, did not, <laughs> I did not expect you to go, yeah, I sang for, I thought you were going to say choir, da, 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 the Pope. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's a name drop, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm kind of a go big or go home kind of gal. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's big. That's not messing around. So that's a interesting nugget about your story. Now, one thing which I think I've already mentioned, I can't remember, is that you studied music therapy in university many years ago. Now, what did you learn from music therapy that you still embody today as a salesperson and somebody who trains salespeople? The beauty of music therapy is that you are engaging a person on the very basic level of who they are as a human being. There's a, actually a scientific study on sensory motor synchronization. And it's the idea that the month after you're born, you are synchronized with your own heartbeat and the rate by which your breath goes in and out. And so our entire lives are around this beat of life. And so if you think about, like I worked with uh, people with Alzheimer's at the time, which is why I'm not a music therapist today, because people who do that, all the respect in the world, I couldn't do it. But to be able to someone who's lost all of their memory, they've lost themselves, they've lost their lives, they've lost their loved ones because they don't remember anything, but they can remember music and they have this moment in life that resonates for them and they get their life back for that one moment is life-changing. It's an amazing experience. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So this is going to sound like a really silly question, but say you're born and you are somebody who breathes, I don't know, let's say shallow breathing and it's quite fast. So are we saying that because we operate in accordance to the beat of that drum, let's say, right? That somebody who's a fast breather, or sorry, yeah, maybe a fast, shallow breather is going to want pace in their life. They're going to want things bang, 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 versus somebody who takes a deep breath 
one, two, three excels. One, two, three. They are more relaxed. They're calmer. They is you're nodding your head. So I'm really. I am. It's fascinating what you start once you start to look at it, especially when you look at people who speak for a, a living. There's a beat that they're trying to keep on to keep that speech going at a certain rate. But when they slow themselves down, those filler words go away. The pattern of their speech changes because I've changed the way I'm breathing. I've slowed my heart rate. So absolutely. There is a correlation. So is the idea that everybody should slow down and focus on long, deep breaths and to calm their pace down in conversations? Is that the goal then, as you saying? Not necessarily. If you think about life, there are always times when you should speak faster. 911, hello. I'd like to tell you about a problem. You don't want you don't want to speak slowly then. So it's by the moment, but it's being aware of it so that you can know that in the moment I need to be X. So therefore I have control over what's happening because I can control my own breathing. That's the one one of the few things that's truly in our control. Mm, massively, especially in these scenarios where our fight or flight response can be triggered in high stake sales presentations, if we're bringing it back to sales, it's, it's very, very important. And one thing you mentioned there, which is very interesting, love to get your take on is, for example, the idea of contrast, when it comes to slowing down the pace of in which you speak, and then increasing it. So for example, if I'm telling a story, I may start off with a specific uh, pace rather like this. I may start off like this, but as I'm getting to the conflict of the story, I do want to increase the pace because I want to increase the anxiety and then I want to slow it down, right? To create that aha moment, et cetera. What's your take on that when it comes to using pace effectively in storytelling, presentations and all that good stuff? You want to take people on a journey, whatever that means, in a story, in anything. Even if it's not a story, you're giving them facts, when I can use the tone of my voice, I can use the speed of my voice, I can get you excited, I can bring you on this journey, I can tell you that this part's very important. I can use my body and stop moving. I can use those things very specifically to draw you into where I need you to be because I'm in control of how you are relating to how I speak. Mm-hmm. It's like you studied communications at university just a couple of years ago, right? I did. I went back and I to my alma mater, University of Kansas, and they were offering certification in leadership development. And they said, you know, for 10 more credits, you can get a degree in communications. I said, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) And hey, the rest is history. Is it good? The rest is history. Yeah. What's one thing that you took from that degree that you now teach your sellers over at Blackline? One of my favorite courses was actually called Cultish Communications, ironically. (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm so fascinated by this. Yeah. Okay. Educate me. Come on. Educate me. My last projects for the class was I had to create a recruitment video for my own cult, which oddly I was really good at. And I had people watch and they're like, I want to join your cult. (laughs) I don't know if that's good (laughs) or bad, but (laughs) apparently I could be a cult leader. But this idea that we can use language, we can use specific words to draw people in, but knowing Mm. where the line is between we're doing good and now we're just not. But that idea that words are so very powerful, and we already know Mm. this, but 
knowing where that line is, knowing where to draw people in, knowing how to to relate to people and find that trigger that's going to draw them in is key. And I've used that every day with my sellers and helping them understand that you can't go in with this predetermined idea of exactly what you're going to say, that you have to be present because there's two human beings, maybe more, who you've got to reach every single one of them and draw them in. I love the idea of being present because I think that is the most undervalued and overlooked skill as a salesperson, because you can create space for another human being to open up. You can pull on beautiful moments and pick up on incredible things when you're not thinking about what to say, because, and also when there's no noise in your mind, right? You're really with that human being. But now you got me curious because you said cultish communication and my mind is going crazy. (laughs) So what I want to know is when it comes to good cultish communication what is like what did you say in that video like what does good look like if there's even a thing (laughs) well ironically my cult was now I have to remember what it was called uh, (laughs) because I blocked it out it it was too scary it was too much power in my hands that I had to, to back away but it was the essentially essentially what it was was you cannot live life fully unless you find that yes. So lean into yes, find a yes everywhere. What if no was never an option? What could you accomplish? What could you do with your life? And it actually came from something that I did several years ago when everybody has that year or a couple of years of their life where everything just goes wrong. And I decided I'm just going to say yes, literally to anything that comes my way, as, unless it's illegal or harmful to me or someone else, I'm just going to go in and say yes. And not only did I expand my repertoire of stories to tell for every situation, but I got to do things I never thought were possible from simple things like trying sushi when I said I'd never eat fish to uh, I took an archery class, which I hated, but I never would have known if I hadn't just leaned in and said yes. So that was my whole cult was just say yes. Tell me you've seen Yes Man with Jim Carrey. Uh, I have. (laughs) So basically, was was it like that? Yes, but it's more calculating. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds that, that worries me okay tell me go deeper tell me more tell me more when i started in enablement about well we'll leave the years off the table but when i started in enablement my head of sales said to me i need you to do this training for these people and i said no and he said yeah that's not an acceptable answer so find me a different yes and when i thought about that plus the best way to work in sales is to find your win, but to find the win for someone else. So how do we find a yes that doesn't make me give too much and doesn't make someone else give too much? So it's finding the right yes, not just yes to everything. But it means that we don't say no. And it's coupled with compromise because that's where the magic is. But we both leave that conversation with, I feel like I won. And we both got something. That's kind of the essence of sales is that whole give, get. I get something, you get something. But it's more about the celebration of what we've gotten, not just, great, I got another number or I got another name. But it's what's that going to give me to get me that win? Sales kickoff season is coming, people. And I love it, man. I love it because it's such an exciting time as a speaker. But... 
for enablement professionals and revenue leaders, well, it can be kind of stressful, you know, and having delivered storytelling keynotes and workshops for revenue teams like NetSuite, Crunchbase and AB Tasty, I know it's not just about motivation and inspiration, but also about finding the right speaker who can educate your audience and spark a long lasting shift in behavior. So, hey, if you are thinking about storytelling as a theme for kicking off your new fiscal year, then head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash speaking to check out my speaker reel, take a look at some of my topics and some customer stories to see if there's a fit. And if there is, then you can scroll down to the bottom and book an alignment call with me directly. All right, let's get back to the show. So to take it back to the cult that you unknowingly started for a full 24 (laughs) hours is the idea, is the essence really say yes to more things, but in the context of what's right for you. Like if we pull it back to the core message, what are we saying here? In a cultish way, yes. But then it's only about me. Right. Where it becomes less nefarious is finding a yes that helps all of the people involved get their needs met. It's about needs. We're supposed to talk about analogies, but that, that can <laughs> wait, man. That can wait. So I'm curious. Say you've got a seller who is brand new and they're listening to this right now. They're like a couple of years into the game. They're still really learning about their identity in the workplace. And a leader says, can you do this? Now, they don't want to do it because it goes against their value system for whatever reason, or they don't feel comfortable in doing it. Maybe it's a strategy or whatever it could be. Do they say no? Do they say yes in the context that you've said it? How does somebody uh, approach that situation in your eyes? There's always this fine line between what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. So for Mm. me... If I were to go in in a selling uh, instance and let's say, for instance, they want something that my product doesn't offer. Uh, there are quite a few people out there who will say, oh, yeah, yep, it sure does. It, sh- it, it does. It just just sign. And for me, my integrity is more important than anything. So to say yes to something that's not authentic, I won't do. That's my line. But what can I do is say, all right, well, tell me a little bit more about what you need in that instance. Well, I heard that uh, RPA is very, very important, and it's something that we should really lean into. All right. What are you trying to accomplish? Because I don't have RPA, but what I have is automation that will meet your needs. So let's talk about what your needs are and see if we do have something that matches. I'm saying, yes, I'm going to sell that piece of software. I'm going to get them to that end line, but they've gotten their needs met and I have not compromised my integrity. I found a yes. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. I love the idea of really knowing what integrity means to you and consistently ensuring that every action you take falls in line with that. Because I think the tricky thing is, is when you blur that line, Right. And then you lose yourself and you really become something you're not, which I think um, is not a good look. And as you mentioned there beautifully, when you do that with a client, you position yourself as a trusted advisor. 
right? That's the goal. It's not, hey, sign. It's like, okay, is this right for you? It may not be me. It may be somebody else. It may be doing nothing at all, but I love it when people really embody the role of a trusted advisor, aka a Yoda, right? Yes, absolutely. Yoda. Who's going to trust the little creepy green guy with the big ears that's trying to steal your food? No, but once you find out that he's the greatest Jedi that ever lived, well, okay, now I'll carry you on my back and run through the swamp. Absolutely. Can you do a Yoda impression or not? No, I cannot. <laughs> okay. Because if you had said yes, you know what my next question was going to be. <laughs> I do. And I'd like to keep my integrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's you make see, it a yes for the both of us, right? How are we going to make it a yes for the both of us? Are you good at any impressions? Have you got any impressions up your sleeve? Impressions have never been my thing. Sometimes I'll try them, but... Uh, they always go horribly wrong, and then it's self-deprecation for everyone to laugh. But on the spot there, the, I don't have a, oh, I can do X, Y, Z. But Got you. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's um, there's always various stories inside of my story bank that I look at before I'm delivering a keynote or a workshop. And I'm like, mm, I like this one. And whenever it's to do with my mum, I like to put on a thick Indian accent. And my mum's like, you're going to do that? Are you going to do that accent again? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, why do you do it? I don't sound like that. I'm like, well, you you know, you kind of do, mum, but it's funny. And she's like, all right, fine. Like, she's like, fine. For the story, let's run with it. Uh, but yeah, accents are, um, I thought you might have a good accent or impression up your sleeve there, you know? So it's funny that you say that. I An accent is something that is this weird fine line of mm. authentic to the story and adds to a story, but you never want it to be offensive. And so I always try and make sure that if I do it, and I, I give a disclaimer that I want to make sure it's not offensive. So uh, back in the day, I had a neighbor who had gone to jail for robbing a bank. And he came over and said, do you have any work? I'm looking for a job. I said, absolutely. And I, I gave him a job. And we became friends. And there was a very large Latino gang that was in the neighborhood. And they started tagging houses. And he had this really thick machismo mustache and he'd been in the Mexican mafia. Like his story was real, but he went, he says, I'll take care of this. Don't you worry. And he walked around the corner <laughs> see, and he comes back and he says, I took care of it. I'm like, Carlos, what did you do? He says, I found a guy and I told him, Hey, you know who I am? My name is Wolfie. And if you tag that house right there, I'm going to tie you to a chair, pour gasoline on your face, and light you on fire. <laughs> Do you know who you sound like? Do you know who I'm you sound idea. like? Do you know Jonah Hill in the movie 22 Jump Street? Have you seen 22 Jump Street? I have not. Oh, if anybody's listening to this right now, go to the <laughs> first three minutes of 22 Jump Street. It's basically Jennifer right now. Literally. Right now. So funny. I mean, but you see that the story wouldn't be the same without the accent. It, it brings him to life. And I'm trying yes. to be authentically him. I'm honoring him, but I'm not yes. doing it to make fun of him. So it's always yeah, it's course. always a little sketchy. You got to be really careful. with. Yeah, I think intention is very, very important. And my mom and I debate all the time. And she's like, she's like, I have an African accent. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of African. It's kind of Indian. We can't decide on it. But I'll tell you what. It always makes for a good story. But hey, I digress. I digress. So when it comes to analogies, Jennifer, say you've got a salesperson who's got, I don't know, 
10 seconds to describe what they do. And they're like, you know what? I want to use an analogy because I want to capture somebody's attention. Where do they begin? How do they begin crafting one that is fun yet professional and authentic yet also pattern interrupting and different? So I find that analogies are the gateway to storytelling. And so if we think about analogies as very, very succinct, very short stories that you use almost as morals to a story or something that will teach something and help someone take a concept that's new in t- and relate it to something they already know increases their ability to understand that new information much more quickly, like Swiss cheese to defragmenting a hard drive. I don't even think you have to do that anymore, but back in the day you did. We have a, a product that we use here internally, and I explained to our users that we've tried to put out a new concept for something that we're rolling out, but the software that it uses to get this new information is something that no one's using. And I said, well, it's like getting someone saying, hey, I got you a new bicycle, go for a ride, but you didn't tell me where you're housing it and you didn't give me a key to the garage. I've told you that it's someone that's something that I don't have access to, but I've done it by way of something that gives someone a mental picture. It can also relieve stress by using a little bit of humor so that people don't feel, oh, you're telling me something I don't know and you're trying to make me look stupid. That's always that first resistance that people have to something new. And if we put it in terms that releases that those fun parts of our brain, serotonin, the dopamine, things like that, we elicit a response that says, oh, when you tell me something new, I feel comfortable. I'm going to get this good feeling when you tell me a story. You know, what's beautiful about what you just mentioned is I think depending on the type of human being you are, and I don't actually know what I'm trying to say, but I'm just going to verbal vomit here. But I've got somebody in mind right now who I'm thinking about who, when they communicate with you intentionally, They want to use language which sounds overly sophisticated because they want to sound smarter than, right? Which creates a disconnect. But if that same human being, no names, we don't do names, right? But if that same human being used an analogy to explain a complex idea in a very simplistic way, it builds a connection and it's also very charismatic right? It's actually really, it's really charismatic. What do you think? Yes, it is. And it's funny, people can't see it behind me, but one of my employees actually sent me this picture of the T-Rex with the little grabbers. Oh yeah, I see It's it. one of I my favorites it. because I have abnormally short arms. It's really horrible. <laughs> do you actually? I do. I have short arms. Like usually it's how tall you are and then your wingspan supposed to be about the same. There's like four inches difference. I'm four inches taller than my wingspan. It's horrible. So I'll use that as an analogy. People will say, well, I just don't think I can do it. You know, you're trying to sell me new software and I'm just not really a techie person. And I said, you know, imagine a T-Rex. What's their problem? They've got this big giant head. They have all of these teeth, but they have these tiny little arms. So they really can't grab anything. They can't, you know, get to anything. It makes them hard. So they have to chomp everything and that makes them inefficient and they don't have fine motor skills. But what if we could give them grabbers, give them that extra reach that they could grab something intentionally and then stick it in their giant mouth? What would that give them? How much more of a predator would they have been with the means to be able to grab more? 
they're like, oh my gosh, I never thought of a T-Rex. And then it becomes funny. And that just lowers their resistance. It lowers their feelings of anxiety. And when we get people past fear, then they're much more open to possibility. And analogies allow us to do that very quickly. They do. They do, Jennifer T-Rex, Ryan. They do. (laughs) I wish wish that was the first time I'd ever been called that. Great. That's going to be my brand, Robbie. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to change your LinkedIn name now. T-Rex. Yep. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. No, I really resonate with what you're saying. And something which hasn't left my mind since you said it is the word gateway. So I was training a revenue team called Plaid, the team over at Plaid. And one of the things we were talking about was how eight to 10 second analogy is the gateway or bridge to sharing your elevator story because it captures attention and we're always earning somebody's attention. And I, what you said there, I thought was fantastic because it's so true. It's the gateway. So two questions. First question is... After you've shared an analogy, what is that the gateway to? Because is it because I think the worst thing you can say to somebody is, does that make sense? Because it can come across really patronizing. So what is it the gateway to? How do you confirm understanding and what happens after that? That's question one. The first thing that I look for is their facial expression. Do people laugh? Because I lean on humor a lot. That's my superpower. And everyone has to find their own. So I lean into humor and Everybody who tells stories or uses an analogy, they're not always going to work. And I have some of the worst examples that I wouldn't ever tell again because they're so horrible. But in that moment, I remember there was one, and I won't tell you what the analogy is because it was really horrible, but the whole room, I had a room of 40 people and they all went completely silent. And my boss facepalmed and (laughs) I stopped. (laughs) It was bad. My boss, actually, my boss is a very good friend of mine. She says, stop telling that story. Like, okay, all right. So I won't tell you the story, but she face palmed and I stopped and I looked around. I said, well, that just happened. Not everything lands. And in that moment, I got them back because I could make fun of myself. I lean in hard on self-deprecation because at that point, I've already earned their respect. So it's finding that balance of how do you get out of it? How do you read the people? If they're stone-faced, it didn't land. So honor it. Say, okay, I'm seeing from your face that didn't land. Is it all right if I try again? Is there something that might resonate with you more? Maybe I need to know a little bit more about the person if I don't know, because I need to find something that they inherently know to make that connection. If I talk about, I don't know, bicycle riding, and you're like, I don't know how to ride. Uh, Okay. Okay, I guess I'm not going to tell you a bicycle analogy. So you really have to take that moment to get to know enough about someone to resonate with them. And then that opens that that gateway. The gateway is the perfect word. Such a great point, which we haven't covered around doing research on the human being you're trying to connect with or group of people. Because if you know you're in a room filled with Dallas Cowboys fans. I mean, it's a very different analogy to if you're in a room filled with people who don't even know what NFL is, like people from the UK, right? So the cultural nuances, et cetera, are so, so powerful. So yes, do your research. Now, if somebody wants to use an analogy in the next 24 hours in their sales conversation, where should they begin? Should they look up the top 50 analogies in 
I don't know, in the world on Google and then see, ah, this one makes sense for our product. But where, where do they begin if then, because you've got a natural ability with this. I can see it. I can feel it. If somebody doesn't have that, where do they begin? I always begin with a Google search and find out what someone else has done. Anything that you can do to get an idea, talk to your colleagues. Someone you know is a natural born storyteller. So I've walked up to people and said, tell me a story. I work in accounting software. I am not an accountant. I barely know how to balance my own checkbook and I really didn't understand debits and credits. But I have enough credibility that I can go out to our customers and I can talk to them because I meet them where I am, but I also meet them where they are. And so I'll ask them, look, I'm not an accountant. So tell me, what do you do? Because my expertise is this. I'm a technologist. So how do we meet in the middle? And as they're talking, I'll pick up things. So you can get things in the moment. But when you're first beginning, find something and then start trying it. Try it with your friends. Try it with your coworkers. Try it with your family. Just try things until they become comfortable. Don't do something uncomfortable. Beautiful. I love it. So ladies and gents, let's recap here. What Jennifer's saying is, is head on down to Google, find some very popular analogies, take a look at the moral of that analogy and see if it ties to the problem that you're looking to solve for your prospect or customer, then create an MVA, a minimum viable analogy. Okay. Take it to market, Test it in no stakes scenarios, okay? So your boss doesn't face palm like Jennifer, like, like she had to do with Jennifer, right? Test it, in, <laughs> test it in no stakes and low stakes scenarios internally, and then take it to your sales conversations. Have a listen on Gong or whatever you're using, and check the impact, right? Did you know? Was there a laugh? Was there a face plant or face palm? I don't know. You know, check out the impact of it. Anything I've missed there, Jennifer? Well, one thing that did come to mind when you said that was also lean into things that you know, what you know, what the impact of what you're trying to talk to someone about. So what's yeah. something else that is a standard life experience that would have that same impact and try that as your analogy as well. You know, one thing I want to acknowledge you for, Jennifer, as you were even saying that is you're very articulate. You're extremely succinct. There's a lot of clarity in your voice, but also you sound extremely conversational when you're delivering an analogy. Now, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, ah, I wanted to keep this under 30 minutes today, but man, we're over, but I can't help it. I can't help it. Let's, let's do it, right? When it comes to the delivery of an analogy, how can somebody make sure they sound conversational versus scripted? That's a really good question. There's a level of confidence that comes with delivering something like this conversational, that you have to believe that you have done the work you're not going in blind. You're not faking it per se. Uh, fake it till you make it is actually something that fail fast and, and, and iterate, but it's being confident in the process of, I'm just going to try it. It's going to be okay. Because what's the worst that could happen? And embrace it. So a little bit of confidence in yourself that the journey is okay. And the more you fail, the more you learn. And when you stop learning, you die. So as long as you're still alive, Keep failing. And that's where that confidence comes. And then just honor the human being you're talking to. That's how you're conversational is how that's would true. you want someone to treat you? So treat them that way. So true. A sales conversation is just a conversation with another human mm -hmm. being. <laughs> it, it is it is no different. So here's three things I've learned about Jennifer today. Okay. Number one, she's a cult leader. 
And she's obsessed with the movie. Yes, man. Uh, number two is she does a mean accent, even though she doesn't like to admit it. She is good at impressions and accents. And number three, she really believes in speed to implementation and imperfection is connection, right? In, you know, really connecting with people through the art of owning and honoring your imperfection. So, hey, my friend. We appreciate you and thank you for coming on the show. Now, as you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator. So it's only right that I ask you the following question. When you look at effective communicators that you've learned from, who do you look at today where you're like, ah, the audience need to check out this human being? Huh. I think my favorite and my inspiration would probably be Brene Brown. Oh, Because she just embraces all of her faults and says, this is who I am unapologetically. And I love that, that authentic humanity that we all bring to the table. We don't always embrace it. We always try and find something that makes us look better. No, what makes you look good is, is authenticity. She needs to do another Netflix special. I need to, I need to see another one. Cause uh, the one she did, well, I think it was four years ago, whenever it was just awesome. It was really, really good. She's a very impactful communicator, very human. And it's no surprise that you love her, my friend. So anyways, listen, before we wrap up here, where can people go to learn more about you and all things Blackline? Well, uh, you can go to blackline.com. More information than you ever wanted to know because my colleagues here are amazing at what they do. I'm always on LinkedIn. There's more to come, actually. Uh, I will be doing more and having more of a presence uh, online, but more to come on that. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll actually, in the show notes, we'll put your LinkedIn profile. All right, my friend. Well, listen, ladies and gents, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place for another episode of The Influential Communicator. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to The Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope and if not that's dope too either way i got love for you all right i'll see you on the other side